Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Before we start today's episode, I'm doing Glenn's Investing Night School. This is a once-off session. It's in November next month. And what we're doing is it's for beginner investors. So if you are interested in learning about the concepts of investing, what the share market is, how it works, how to place trades, whether I need a micro-investing platform, whether I need a brokerage account, why I should have to diversify, what's a managed fund, what's direct shares, what's an ETF everything. It's for beginners. It's $55. It's once off only. And if you do purchase this, you'll have a month to watch it. So if you can't make it on the night, you'll get a month to watch it and then it will be removed from the ether. I'm looking forward to joining you and we'll have a lot of fun. Uh, I'm doing it in front of a live audience in my house. So at least I'll be able to interact with faces because then I'll know the beginners in person whether I'm making sense to them and we can dig deeper. So that will be a good litmus test for me in the room. There's a link in the show notes. Looking forward to seeing you at Glenn's Investing Night School. I've got Alex Vikovic, who is the wealth editor at the Australian Financial Review to have a chat with me today. Alex, g'day, how are you? G'day, Glenn. I'm well, thanks, mate. And uh, thanks for having me on a, on a podcast. Bit of a newfangled medium for uh, newspaper men like myself. But, yeah, uh, that's right. Yes, yes. Now, I thought I would give everybody a bit of a, a background for Alex. Now, in 2016, he was living in the States. He covered the 2016 election. He lived in DC, Austin. Uh, he worked for a congressman. So, he kind of knows, right? And we're going to have a bit of a chat about the election stuff, what it means for markets, what it means for our money. Uh, but before we do that, Alex, can you tell us about what you're working on at the AFR? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Look, thanks, mate, for, for allowing a, uh, a plug uh, at the outset. And uh, look, it, it, Really, um, as I'm guessing you guys have spoken about um, on this program, and I know you've been talking about this kind of new influx of investors into the market, you know, the Robin Hood phenomenon that we're seeing um, around the world. And really interestingly, um, we're kind of seeing that not just from the ASX's kind of data that they're putting out, which is fascinating, right, showing, um, you know, more women investors, many more investors under 40 just in the last six months participating um, on the ASX. But Interestingly, our own data um, has picked up a lot of that, and and we are seeing um, a boom in subscriptions at the Fin Review from from people in in younger demographics. And so, um, you know, we did have a kind of idea for some time that we need to be speaking more specifically to this audience and maybe trying to you know cast off the boomer imagery. You know, our, our investing um, uh, sort of content is very much aimed, as I'm sure you'll agree, Glenn, at that self managed super fund kind of boomer retiree audience, and we do that very well and we have for a long time and that 
works well for our kind of Saturday paper audience. But we've got this, um, you know, kind of new and really engaged um, audience of, of young investors. And so um, I'm heading up this new project called Wealth Generation. We're in the fourth week. You've already featured in there once, mate. So that's a pretty good uh, strike rate <laughs> so far. Um, and, uh, and yeah, look, lots of ways we can work with the My Millennial Money community, hopefully. And um, the idea is just for it to be a bit of an entry point, I guess, to um, some of our other uh, content that, that maybe is a bit intimidating at first, you know, some of the deep investigations, um, some of the like daily markets coverage, but I guess to be a bit more um, explanational and, and just sort of um, a, a bit more normal in, in the way that uh, people of, of our generation speak, right? So um, hopefully we're, we're, we're getting that balance right. It's a weekly newsletter that goes out every Wednesday. So uh, yeah, they can check it out at AFR.com and uh, hopefully just follow their way through ads to, uh, to Wealth Generation. Love it. So there you go. Now, straight to it, the US election. So at the time of recording, uh, it's the 26th of October. And I like to just put the date in there because things could change tomorrow. Uh, one of the yeah. candidates could drop dead tomorrow. Um, <laughs> anything can happen. Now, well, if it was going to happen, it probably would have happened a week ago. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so there you go. Now, the election's coming up. And this podcast, it's, it's more about the politics of it and how it impacts everyone's life. We, we're not going to get too much into the dollar side. But I guess why are people so worried about investment markets off the back of a of the US election? Look, it's a tough one. I'm always of two minds when it comes to American politics at the moment because on the one hand, um, you know, there are a lot of unprecedented elements to what we're going through. Donald Trump is is a truly different type of president and a truly different type of candidate than we've ever seen. Um, and that obviously feeds into, you know, the kind of toxic social media culture that we're in and, and, and the mainstream media um, has a total frenzy with that. And so, all, and then of course, we're in a global pandemic. So all those elements do make it unprecedented. But at the same time, you do have, um, you know, one of the most sophisticated democracies in the world that has a long history of patterns um, when it comes to electoral politics. And the question is the extent to which that that will go towards plan and, and, and history will be repeated or the extent to which this is really, really is unprecedented. And to be honest, I think, you know, I kind of go between those two spheres um, when, I'm, when I'm looking at the election. Some days I think, you know, this is not as crazy as the media is making out. Um, the normal kind of patterns and the normal tribalism that you see in any country w- will ultimately play out um, and, and normal history will repeat itself. And under normal history, a term president would almost always win a second term. Very, very unusual for that not to occur, um, particularly when, you know, the Republicans have only been in power for four years and we had eight years of democratic rule before that. So it's almost unprecedented for a first term president from one side to be knocked out. But then again, we are in very um, unusual times. And one of the reasons that markets are really paying attention, I think, this time is ordinarily um, markets are backing an incumbent, right? So ordinarily, markets investors don't like change, right? But in 2016, we saw that um, even, you know, we saw that people really, markets didn't really know how to react. Um, and, And often markets also back a Republican because quite simply, if you're going to get policies like lower tax rates, if you are going to get more of a free market enterprise approach from the administration, then that's usually good for equity markets, right? Mm. Um, And so, you usually will get a 
a bounce from a um, from a Republican win, but that's not what we saw in 2016 in the immediate aftermath, partly because um, Hillary Clinton was expected to win, but also because um, Hillary Clinton was seen as the, you know, the kind of continue, continuation candidate, the con- continuity candidate, not the change candidate because we'd had Obama before that and because we kind of knew what to expect with Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, she'd been in the White House before, albeit as the first lady. She's, you know, really well known what her policies are and she's been in government a long time, whereas Trump was the more erratic candidate, um, even though he was a Republican and even though his policy agenda on the economic side was sort of a tried and tested pro-markets agenda. Um, we still saw some 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 sort of, you know, market spiral in those first couple of days. So this time around, it's really hard for, I think, investors to work out who the change candidate is and who the continuity candidate is because while Trump is the incumbent, he's so erratic, right, that yeah. it's not really a continuity candidate because he can backflip on policies um, and and he can move markets very quickly with a tweet um, and, um, and he does all sorts of things on the economic front that um, on the one hand are good for markets, right? I mean, the the, the uh, tax cuts that he's introduced have, have you know, overwhelmingly sort of supported uh, equity market, certainly in the US. But at the same time, he's got, you know, a raging trade war with China and it's not clear the extent to which Joe Biden would change that or, or, or really be counter to that. And, and, and of course, it's very difficult for real policy debates um, to be listened to in this current climate. So, Absolutely. look, I think there's a lot of focus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, I mean, it's always, it's been difficult for 10 years to get policy d- debates um, into the, the news cycle. But I think, um, you know, particularly so at the moment, because Trump is so good at, um, at controlling the cycle with the things that he's saying and with, and with rhetoric. So, look, I think there is a lot of focus because people really don't know what's going to happen, right? And, and I've seen widely different surveys from groups of investors about what's going to happen. At the moment, you know, Biden is still tipped in the polls to win this thing, but the polls are really narrowing um, in, in uh, a lot of key battleground states as we speak. By the time this comes out on Thursday, I reckon they will have narrowed further still. Yeah. And then the bigger question is, you know, do the polls really matter? In 2016, they didn't matter. Um, and if Trump can bring out this, you know, silent majority, this, these people that are not engaged with traditional media and are not um, answering polls, um, if he can bring more of these people out of the woodwork the way he did in 2016, then, you know, who knows? He, he could definitely win this thing. So just picking up a couple of things you said there, we know one thing's for certain, and that's market volatility, whether it's a correction due to uh, a worldwide event, whether it's a coronavirus, whatever. So as an mm-hmm. investor, our strategy almost needs to be removed from things that we can't control. And that could be, I invest X amount per month for the long term, and so be it, I'm an investor. So we can't control the world, but I think it's important to be aware of what's happening and why it's happening. So when we see a spike in the portfolio, oh, we know that's just because of that and the markets have factored this in or whatnot. Yeah. Now, just on the candidates themselves, I guess my view was you said that Trump pulled out these people out of the woodwork. Uh, Mm. A lot of what we see on social media, on TV and pop culture, it's really... East or West Coast United States, which are blue states, and it's not that real, real America. And I think that's why people are shocked that you know Trump walks into office because all we see on our TV and through social media is blue, basically, and yeah, all that stuff. So if you've spent some time in America, I've spent a lot of time in um, Ohio, Nebraska, you know, Texas. 
It's mm. just a different beast than what you see on social media. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's kind of hard for me right here sitting on the northern beaches of Sydney to to, to know what's going to happen because certainly if you listen to the media and even our US correspondent um, is pretty bullish on a Biden win, he still thinks that's you know going to happen. But he probably doesn't leave DC that much as a good AFI correspondent. He's, he's going to be on the East Coast talking to fund managers and economists most of the time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, but I was... Uh, in the heartland in uh, the South, but the South is always Republican, but I was also in Pennsylvania and Ohio um, mm. in 2016 when the vote happened. And I I remember the moment that I realised that Clinton, I just didn't see how Clinton could win. Mm. Um, and it was about two days before the vote and I went to see Hillary Clinton speak in Cleveland, Ohio, and she had LeBron James with her. And you could not possibly imagine in the history of the state of Ohio a more pos- a more popular or important public figure than LeBron James. Right? Totally. Um, and uh, and he was on the stump for Hillary, um, you know, speaking on her behalf in the hope that they will pull a crowd. And, and, and for context, Ohio is a must-win state. It's a bellwether state. It's one of the few states. And as you said, there is a real dichotomy in the United States, as there is increasingly here between, you know, outer suburban and inner city voters, between, um, you know, rural and regional, between coastal and bush. So they have those same sort of dichotomies going on. There aren't that many states that, um, that are swing states. Um, and Ohio is the ultimate swing state. Yeah, I, I've got um, a lot of friends in, uh, particularly around Columbus, and I've I spend kind yeah. of you know a month a year there, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've got photos of like people's front lawns, all the posters, all the Trump stuff. It's just so wild, which is weird because a lot of my friends think he's a dickhead like most of other people. So it's just wild. But do you think? And this is kind of it's more of a question to you. Like, did the Democratic Party wheel out Biden? Because they knew that Trump pulled out these, you know, porch and pool type middle class voters that they would possibly swing across to the other porch and pools type guy anyway. Like, yeah, it- well, that's the that's the hope of, of Biden. So to, yeah. to go back to the, I mean, the people who Trump pulled out of the woodwork are very interesting. Um, and, and as I was saying, so, you know, LeBron James is there and she was only to pull, able to pull 2,000 people to this crowd with LeBron James there, right? There were more people down the road at the Cleveland Browns game, which are not a good team in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, than there were at this rally. And then I got in the car and I drove to a place called Moon Township, Pennsylvania, which is about a six-hour drive from there, where Trump was meant to be giving a um, speech in a hangar, an airport hangar, and there were 50,000 people in the line to see Trump in a battleground state. And this is when I knew that something was was up here. And a lot of these people were working-class people. You know, they were uh, overwhelmingly white. They were a lot of people who hadn't voted before. And this is coal country, right? And so that's where Trump picked up a lot of votes. Um, he picked them up um, partly because he was able to articulate a kind of anti-elite, um, anti-East Coast. I mean, he was able to, despite being a billionaire from Manhattan, mm. um, somehow incredibly um, articulate the concerns of people who had felt left behind by the global financial system for the last 20 years. And he was able to paint Hillary Clinton as a, you know, as the type of person who flies into Davos on a helicopter yeah. um, and, and and hangs out with, um, you know, with royalty from Europe on her for fun, you know, and, and that does not play well in coal country. Um, <laughs> and, 
And so to, to go back to your question on, on Biden, um, yes, the Democrats are hoping that um, Biden is more competitive in these places, and he may be, right, because he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He, um, you know, has that working class background. He um, has a son that was in the military. You know, he's not seen as a Clinton. But having said that, he has been a, you know, professional politician for 40 years. Um, he is reasonably close with the Clintons. Um, and I also wonder whether um, you know, average Americans, even though Biden has huge name recognition, he doesn't have name recognition to the extent of Trump or, or Clinton. Um, and he's really just known as Obama's second in command, right? I, I wonder whether that story of his childhood and, you know, regular Joe from Scranton, from the suburbs who kind of, you know, who's had personal tragedy in his life and has, you know, really made something of himself and the family man. I just wonder how much that is cutting through when you've yeah. got Trump dominating the airwaves and Trump dominating social media. You know, I just don't know if anyone who doesn't follow politics closely is, is hearing that. Um, but, but, you know, if he can claw back, the other problem he's got, of course, is, is energy policy. And just like the Labor Party in Australia, you know, the Democrats are super split. And, you know, this is why this issue of fracking, which is, a, you know, a big part of their energy sector over there and is really controversial, um, and, and that's a big industry in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and the Appalachian Mountains. But he also needs to, you know, get all of the, the hardcore Democrats over the line, people in uh, New England and New York City and California who don't want fracking and who want um, the Green New Deal, mm. right? And so it's he hasn't done a great job of answering this question of what energy policy will look like because of this problem that he's got trying to reach these two constituencies. So, look, maybe uh, – and there's also a gender factor potentially, right? Maybe um, Joe will appeal more than Hillary Clinton did to some of these white-collar, particularly white men, uh, sorry, blue-collar white men um, in, in these battleground states. But um, I don't know. I, I think Trump has done a pretty good job of painting him as just another politician. Yeah. Now, and, and just on that, so Trump kind of came into power on this promise, I'm not a politician, I'm going to drain the swamp, blah, blah, blah. We've, yeah. we've had four years. What is he selling this time? And what is Biden actually selling? Is Biden selling Trump's a dickhead and he's trashed the place and trashed our reputation. We need to get mm. the country back on track. Is Trump, like, what is Trump selling and what is Biden selling this time around? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I think um, one of the big issues is, I guess, the virus, right? And so Biden has very clearly tried to make the virus the enemy. Um, and he's been wearing masks since the very beginning of the campaign, and Trump ridiculed him uh, for that. And, and Trump has been trying to simultaneously defend his record on the virus while also trying to maybe tap into this very American view that the virus is an overreaction, that, you know, that the lockdowns are an overreaction to the pandemic by, you know, public health elites and the media elites um, uh, that goes against a very American conception of, of, of freedom. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who, who wins that um, fight. And arguably one of the reasons why the polls are now narrowing is I think Trump uh, con contracting, you know, COVID-19 and then bouncing out of it so quickly 
um, arguably helps that perception that there is an overreaction to the virus. Um, uh, now there's this whole debate about whether maybe Melania Trump is a little bit more sick um, than they're letting on. She hasn't been seen in public and then yesterday she was seen in public and there's a whole Twitter firestorm over whether or not that was a body double and not actually Melania <laughs> Trump. Uh, so, you know, this is some of the craziness that's out there. But, all you know, it's an election. So, you know, there's always a circus and it's it's plausible, right? But I do think that um, for those voters for whom lockdowns are, and you have to keep in mind, you know, there is a strong current in American society that is not just Republican. It's more Republican these days um, than not. But there is a strong um, foundational kind of libertarian streak in um, in American politics. I write about this a lot in my book about um, the election, you know, that I wrote over there, USA G'day, and it, it, it's really deep. And if you look at a state like New Hampshire, right, which is seen as a relatively, it's, it's a swing state, but it's a bit more blue. You know, it's on the coast. It's a lot of educated people live in New Hampshire and their state motto that you see on the back of number plates is freedom or death, Mm. right? Um, uh, uh, Live free or die. Now, that doesn't leave much room for government-mandated lockdowns, right? Um, If you subscribe to a view that freedom is, is, is preferable to death. Uh, or the death is preferable to a lack of freedom. And that kind of um, debate between kind of freedom and security is something that in places like Europe and maybe to a lesser extent Australia um, is not as front of mind. Although, you know, we have pockets of it in Western Australia, in Queensland, um, there are voters who for whom this freedom thing is really strong, but I don't think it's the same uh, as over there. Yeah, now, so without uh, COVID, what would Biden have? Would he have guns to campaign on? Like, what would his big thing be? Well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think guns is winning. I mean, look, the problem is you have to factor in that like Australia and like most countries, uh, most of the people, most of the voting population, and remember, America is a a voluntary voting uh, country and that's a big factor, only about half the people vote. Mm -hmm. Now, most of those people are going to be one side or the other no matter what. Right. And so the election comes down to what Americans call GOTV, get out the vote, right? Who turns up on the day? And the Republicans always have an inbuilt advantage, which is why you're getting this whole debate around um, voter fraud and, and access to voting and how easy we should make it to vote. Um, uh, In a lot of Republican states, for example, they demand um, ID when you vote, which is very controversial because um, some people in lower socioeconomic uh, brackets and and homeless people and other people who who have a right to vote um, but may not carry identification with them, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that stops them from voting and arguably they may be more likely to vote Democrat. But, you know, Republicans tend to vote up to turn up on the day. Um, uh, and and that includes a large number of people who probably aren't huge Trump fans, who are upper middle class, who are bankers and lawyers and suburbanites and, you know, golf types, you know, your typical kind of uh, suburban liberal voters in mm. Australia. That's the base of the Republican Party. And a lot of those people are not huge Trump fans, but I really question whether they will switch to yeah, Joe and, Biden. Yeah, and I think that was my initial thoughts of at least Biden might be able to get 20% of those. 
Maybe, maybe. But you, look, a lot of those people are not deeply engaged with mm. this kind of raging culture war. You know, they don't care about issues like um, gay marriage and, 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 and even the lockdowns, you know, because a lot of these wealthier people are able to withstand the lockdowns. They're working from home. They own vast properties. They're, 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 on, they're in their country retreats like a lot of rich people are in Australia right now, right? Yeah. So, um, so, so for them, it really, a lot of them vote on economic issues and before the virus, you know, Trump had gotten the U.S. economy into pretty good shape, arguably. Mm. Um, and, and um, you know, so for them, you know, they vote on things like tax taxes and, and, and Trump's being clear on that. So so that's not where the debate is. That's not where the the election is won and lost. And, and just on the uh, on the taxes, um, mm. one of your colleagues wrote an article how there's this big transfer of wealth happening in the States right now because if people think uh, Biden will get in, the whole – uh, inheritance tax, a state tax issue, uh, will come to fruition possibly. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot happening over there. Yeah, yeah. And look, it, it's always very difficult in an election uh, to find out exactly what, uh, particularly the Democrats' tax policies are, because it's their biggest weakness, arguably, particularly in the United States, where even people of relatively um, meagre means who aren't wealthy. Um, often support the idea of fewer taxes, right? I mean, in places like Texas, income tax is unconstitutional, mm. you've got to remember, right? So the idea that the government taxes by force for Ameri- for many Americans is, is a controversial idea, whereas in most countries, um, that's just the basic premise of, of, of you know, society, right? Mm. Um, so, so, so look, yeah, we'll see. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the big um, clincher either. I think you know, there's a few things. One is this kind of uh, white, the blue collar voter, and how many of those still turn out for Trump again? That's the the, the one um, sort of group to be looking at. The other group to be watching is suburban wealthy women, right, uh, and the extent to which they who are normally people who are normally Republicans, women who are normally Republicans, whose families and husbands traditionally vote Republican, whether they are so disgusted with Trump and his behaviour and his rhetoric on women's issues now, um, whether they will switch to Biden, I'm not convinced that necessarily that will happen, but certainly that's, you know, a narrative that's out there and, and, and that could be um, something that matters. And the other big one, Glenn, which is of relevance to your audience, is whether or not progressive millennials turn out for Joe Biden. And we know that they don't like Donald Trump. And, you know, every poll of that audience shows that they detest Donald mm. Trump and, and, and they tend to support democratic ideals, but they didn't turn up in big numbers for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And that was a, a problem. Um, and, um, and, and it remains to be seen whether they, uh, we know they don't like Trump, but will they turn up and vote for the first time, some of these uh, kids? And, and that'll be a big issue as well. And it's, I've, I've heard uh, chatter online that if it is a Biden White House, that mm. it will be a different type of Biden because he can't be soft on foreign policy. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And so when it comes to things like the China trade war, which arguably is one of the biggest policy issues that affects people who are active in markets, right? Um, it isn't clear the extent to which they would be different. I mean, during this campaign and during the debates we've seen, when you know the debates haven't been crazy and we've actually gotten to some substantive uh, sort of matter, um, they're not that different on China. They're kind of trying to outhawk each other, and, and they're both talking tough on China. So. Mm. 
it's not clear that that Biden would be too different there. And and Trump, to be fair, um, has adopted a lot of traditionally Democrat policies when it comes to you know being protectionist, um, introducing tariffs, looking after primary industries and and agriculture and manufacturing. I mean, these are kind of uh, trade union uh, uh, issues, right? These are not y- your typical uh, Wall Street uh, Republican ideas of of, of um, globalism and, and open markets, right? And and uh, and going to the country where where businesses where business conditions are most favourable. And, and do you think uh, just a question there on uh, mm. Biden, um, Kamala Harris? Mm. Do you think uh, there is a chance that the Democratic Party have installed Biden? in a similar way that Bush was installed and Dick Cheney running the show? Yeah, look, I, I don't know if I agree with the premise there with Bush and Cheney. I think that's a that's a, that's. I a mean, it was a great movie, narrative. if you haven't yeah, seen Yeah, it's Vice. a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, look, and there's elements of that to tr- that, that would be true because, um, you know, George Bush would be the first to say he wasn't a super political guy or a super strategic um, guy when it came to the politics. So he surrounded himself by people who, um, who, who he did, you know, listen to their advice a lot. Um, uh, Trump, certainly not someone who listens to advice no. a lot from his people. So. Can you believe how much he trashes um, Fuji? Yeah, I know. Unbelievable. Yeah, his own uh, infectious diseases. But, yeah. but, but like, it, maybe that plays to him to his base, right? I mean, he, he has these punching bags around him and every time he attacks Fauci, who, 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 to be fair, is one of the, you know, top infectious diseases doctors in the world. Um, uh, maybe he looks like he's beating up on the global elites. You know, maybe, maybe it plays right into his wheelhouse. Mm. Um, uh, but in terms of the, uh, the Biden, Kamala Harris things, look, there, there, there are whispers that there is maybe a bit of a deal. I mean, don't forget, um, that Joe Biden is super old, right? Like he's well into his seventies. Um, he will be older if he takes office in January than Ronald Reagan was when Ronald Reagan left the White House as the oldest president we've ever had. Mm. Um, so there are talks that maybe he would only do one term and he would hand over to Kamala Harris. Mm. Um, but again, like energy policy, that's something that is a bit dangerous for him and that he wouldn't want to talk about too much because the young progressives who love Kamala Harris, um, they're going to be really enthused about that. But in Pennsylvania, um, they may not be too excited about a progressive woman from San Francisco who isn't super keen on the coal industry um, and, and and has a pretty clear record on green policies. They're not going to be keen about the idea of Joe handing over to her, right? So it, you're not getting a clear picture from them on that. Um, you know that that remains to be seen. They still got to win first, and uh, I think that's uh, that's that's far from in the bag. And and just uh, I guess wrapping up type uh, this type of political chat. How, how is it simplistically explained to people? So, for example, in your local electorate in Australia, you don't actually vote for the prime minister, you vote for a member, and if yeah. that member happens to be prime minister, well, that's cute. Um, but you can basically, it's, is it first past the post in the States, like anyone can, anywhere can vote for Trump, vote for um, Biden? Yeah, so look, it's super um, complex, to, to be honest. So, for example, in 2016, uh, Trump, lost the popular vote, as we know, by a few million votes and ended up winning the election. And that's because of the electoral college system, which um, is different, again, to our system, which is a Westminster system where you uh, vote for your your local um, uh, member or you vote for the candidate that the local party has put up. 
Um, and different to the UK system, which is a pure first-past-the-post at a federal level. Um, the electoral college system is, is complex and it is state-by-state state system. So even though when you go into the voting booth, it will literally say on the um, on the ballot, it'll say Trump-Pence for the Republicans, it'll say Biden-Harris for the Democrats, and it will say a collection of smaller candidates, not Kanye, unfortunately, yeah. because he, he missed the, uh, he, he he missed the deadline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's a whole nother, you know, you could uh, you have a whole podcast. Oh, man, have you, to, listened to to him on the, have you listened to him on Joe Rogan's podcast over the weekend? I haven't seen that. Oh, no, mate. no, he's got some fresh stuff. So, oh. well, he's still clinging on, is he? Or? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's still running. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, look, had he been on the ballot, though, to be fair, that could have been um, a game changer potentially. I mean, the argument there is that um, it could have split the Democratic vote. Um, perhaps um, the African American community, which um, where Biden is polling very, very well. Perhaps some of the younger members of that community, and just generally younger Americans and fans of Kanye, which is not a small voting group, right? Mm. Um, uh, uh, may have may have voted for him, and, and that could have made a difference. But you will get in some states the Libertarian Party, which is a minor party, and the Green Party, which is another minor party on the left. Um, they all appear on the ballot but they get very, very few um, votes. So even though you are you think you're voting for, um, for, for, for those tickets, you are actually voting for a set of electors or delegates from the party in each state. Um, so in that sense, it's not that different to what we have where you're voting for a local guy putting his hand up for office. The only difference is um, those delegates that you're voting for in the um, in each of the American states have pledged themselves to one of the tickets, um, and so basically they tally up the electoral these electoral college votes. Um, and in I think almost all of the states, um, if not all of the states, they then have a winner takes all arrangement um, for those electoral college votes. Mm. Um, uh, so so look. It, it, it's complex. Um, uh, politics is complex. At the end of the day, there's a certain level of um, votes at which it's truly decisive, right? And and if we don't get to those, um, uh, and because of the pandemic and because of the mail-in votes, there's a very real chance we won't get there on the night. Mm. That could trigger um, a whole range of potentially problematic legal disputes. Each state doesn't have the exact same uh, voting process, and so we saw that was a major problem in 2000, where the vote was the election was contested and did go to the Supreme Court, for example, and um, and you know they were questioning the val validity of so-called hanging chads in the state of Florida, where you actually have a punch card system, like a physical punch card, uh, and there was a big fight over whether or not uh, you could should count the votes if there was a little bit of paper still hanging on not so like this is <laughs> and, and, and that was decisive in the end you know bush uh bush ended up um you know taking that election after the supreme court uh found in his favor um but crucially that only happened that didn't happen automatically that only happened in the year 2000 when al gore the democratic uh, candidate and bill clinton's vice president where he actually fell on his sword and said look i don't think this is right i think they've played dirty games but the supreme court has said what they've said and in the interests of the country i concede right mm. that's what normally happens now I can't see Donald Trump doing that under any circumstances. Um, I don't know about you, but um, but so look, we may be in for a big legal dispute here. But I also think that there is a bit of doomsdaying going on with this stuff. You know, people think that, and I've spent a lot of time in the developing world in my early career in West Africa, and I've you know looked at elections in 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 these sort of countries, and there is a really you know the 
peaceful transfer of power is one of the most important things we have as um, you know in 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 democratic countries, and you can't take that for granted. I mean, in terms of investors, it's it's crucial that we get this democratic transfer of power and this peaceful transfer of power. And in in African countries, for example, this is what happens: they might have a vote that is legitimate, but then. You know, if the if the country, uh, if the government in power and the the regime in power decides not to hand that baton over, um, sometimes you can't make them. Now, the prospect of that happening in the United States is almost nil, right? Mm. If if Donald Trump does try to have a hissy fit and act like a dictator and barricade himself inside the White House with his own personal secret service, they will go in there and they will arrest him, and there will be a transfer of power because you know, the, at the end of the day, the American Constitution is a more powerful document. Document um, than than yeah, Donald Trump is powerful. Yeah, 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 that's right. And yeah. so I think all investors and all people who are watching this, no matter how crazy it should seem, uh, in my view, should take comfort from that. Um, and, and that's why, at the end of the day, a lot of the normal processes are in play here, right? And, and, and ultimately, I think what will happen was will most likely Donald Trump will win because. That's what usually happens. You know, a Republican has a second term, um, uh, and and, um, and and then after that, it will go back to Democrats for eight years. And so, in terms of the macro picture, it is fun to get really into the weeds because you know it's 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 a very spicy election cycle, and it's 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 you know a lot of people's lives are always affected depending on the outcome. But ultimately, you know, looking at the macro picture, I think history is a pretty good guide. And just, a, I guess, a final comment that isn't really relevant to anyone, but I think it's fun to have a chat about. The first debate, mm. do you agree that sucked more because the moderator sucked? Look, I, did it suck more? Look, it sucked more because... Um, look, maybe they brought in they brought in a new rule for the second debate yeah, the where they had the where they had the mute function and, yeah. and that seemed to have worked better. But I don't think it was just the mute function. Donald Trump clearly changed his approach and his strategy in the, oh, in he the was second so debate. so much more measured and considered, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and he was less belligerent. So but I don't know if that was him listening to feedback or if he just felt different today. You know, he's pretty uh, emotionally motivated. Mm. Um, I also wonder whether debates really matter. You know, I mean, they matter a lot to people who follow Twitter and people who are deeply engaged in the mainstream media. And a lot of investors, for example, are are those people who are engaging with this. Um, But I don't know if that matters. I mean, there's very, very few Americans who have not made up their mind about these two people, right? Um, So does a debate shift votes? I I don't really think so. Yeah, well, there you go, everyone. There's a... uh it's just interesting nevertheless. And, you know, it, it is somewhat material uh, to us who's in the White House because, you know, they're an ally. They're mm. the world's largest democracy. And, yeah, it's just very interesting to see what happens. Now, Alex, you're a wealth editor at the AFR. Mm. What's going with um, this tech fang boom that's happening in the States? Is that going to cool off? Yeah, look, that's that's a really interesting one. And that's one where I think we're not getting a whole lot of policy um, debate at this election. But I do think that that's going to be a policy area that either president, whoever wins, is going to really tackle in their second term. And if Trump wins in particular, you've got to remember that they've got set terms in America, right? So they can only do eight years max. And traditionally, um, the president does things in their second term that they wouldn't have ever done in their first term. That's right, you know, they, they can go of, down with the ship in the second term. That, 
and they get courageous, right? They do stuff that might not be vote winning, but that helps shore up their legacy. Yeah. Um, Obama had all sorts of stuff planned on the global stage, but um, you know he wasn't able to get to a lot of that. Um, but I do think one issue that is going to become major for, for, for either candidate in the next um, four years is going to be the regulation of the tech giants. And I think, you know, Europe is really leading this at the moment because it's awkward for Americans, you know, because I think people are really of two minds about this. And and, and certainly for for me as someone who um, is a journalist but also fairly pro-innovation, you know, I'm of two minds about this. You know, on the one hand, I can see the toxic uh, uh, culture that social media kind of um, at least enables but to what extent is that is that their fault? And to what extent should we be considering them traditional media? And what responsibility do they have to, for the content on their platforms? You know, this is a major, major um, policy issue that has never been dealt with before and that affects pretty much every person's life, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, certainly every person who's connected to the internet in, in globally, um, this affects their daily life. So I think that's going to be a big one. And obviously that's going to have um, an impact on specific equities and specific stocks, depending on whether they're winners and losers of, of this regulatory regime when it comes. i tell you what I found fascinating, just one kind of a couple of one-liners that Trump said, just kind of back to that thinking, you know, second term. I'm loosely paraphrasing. Did Trump pretty much say, Obamacare, it's pretty good, but like he almost conceded that Obamacare, you did a good job, but I've kind of tweaked the edges and I'll make it even better which I thought yeah, was yeah. very irregular that he'd give any homage to that. But again, I mean, he says things like that and then does it hurt? I mean, you remember it, um, you know. Yeah, nobody true. who's listening to this votes in the US or, or at least yeah. very few, if any. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think he did. I mean, what he, um, you know, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, in the rhetoric he likes to dismantle it, but then there's also elements uh, to which he's, he's, he's keeping it, uh, you know, in, in, in largely in play. Um, interestingly, he also, I mean, I guess the big difference is he, he is very keen to, um, stress that there are, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, millions of, of private healthcare holders whose, whose policies won't be affected under Trump care. Mm. Um, uh, and that's obviously he thinks a winning argument f- for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and Biden is talking about uh, tweaking it, um, you know, as well to, to introduce Biden care. So, We'll see what happens. But, you know, when it comes to the policy stuff and, and, and for anyone who's looking at this sort of thing and then trying to get an angle on a particular healthcare stock or, or whatever, you know, that's not a bad way to be thinking. But you got to remember that it's very difficult to pass laws in that country. Mm. Um, and just because a certain – and they're not even in Congress, right? It's I was going like to say, and we haven't minister. even touched on Congress in this bloody chat in that time. Yeah, that's right. And so they don't. Yeah, so there's another race going on that doesn't get anywhere near the amount of airtime. Uh, but but you know the the Senate and the uh, the House are also up for for re-election, and so that's a a big deal in terms of how laws actually get passed. But um, no matter what happens, uh, it, it's very difficult to pass laws in the United States. That's the way that the founding fathers intended it because they do have that kind of knee-jerk um, anti-government streak, and and they didn't want it to be easy for for administrations to just ram through their agenda. And it's certainly not easy in the United States and the size of the uh, lobbying industry makes it more difficult and all of the vested interests and just the size of their of their, of their their government and the size of their nation makes it difficult. Um, so, you know, just because one side wins certainly doesn't mean uh, that you, you, their policies come into place because if that was the case, we'd have a big-ass wall right now, wouldn't we? Yeah, totally. There you go. <laughs> 
Everyone, uh, head over to the AFR and uh, check out Wealth Generation uh, and also subscribe to the AFR. I mean, I've got it. I've got the app. It's a couple of dollars a month, whatever that is. And it's just a good source of information. You've got people like Alex in there who are on the ground writing concise articles, if you will. A piece, as they call them in the journalist world. Yeah, yeah. I don't write too much about Trump these days, so it's uh, nice to uh, <laughs> nice to reflect. We, we've got someone on the ground who does that, and yeah. giving you uh, yeah, you know an actual snapshot of what's happening yeah, there. But uh, it was great to chat, mate. No worries, and we'll uh, we'll have you on again soon. Absolutely, good stuff. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, Canstar, and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. You can join Sun Super online in under five minutes. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. I run a money podcast and a lot of people are like, wow, you must know so much about the markets, investing and all that stuff. Well, the truth is I have some secret sauce. Every day I use the Australian Financial Review app as part of my subscription and it just keeps my finger on the pulse with what's happening around the world in Australia in relation to companies, politics, all the stuff. So you can also be like me. Well, you probably don't want to be like me. However, you can also get access to all the stuff that I use to prepare podcasts and keep my finger on the pulse. So if this type of analysis and information is something that you want to plug into your life, you might be thinking, what can I do? Well, you can invest in your success with a subscription to the Financial Review. Subscribe during the end of financial year sale to save 50% or more for your first three months. Visit afr.com forward slash subscribe. That's afr.com forward slash subscribe. The offer ends on 30th of June. Terms and conditions apply.